Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello again. Welcome to Plow and Hose. Thank you for joining me out here on the patio in my backyard out here in Taylor, Texas. It's been another wet and stormy and overcast week. I think we've only had one nice, beautiful, and completely sunny day this past week. But in spite of the dreary days that we've had, I've got to say I've been enjoying it because it is just so, so pleasant out in my garden. The mornings have been cool and dewy, and I just love going out in the mornings to check on my plants. My tomatoes have really started to take off. They are looking lush and green, but I haven't seen a whole lot of flowers on them. I kind of feel like I should be seeing more. I mean, we are in mid-May, and it seems like I usually have a lot more tomatoes setting by now but this month has been unusually overcast and tomatoes want lots of sun in order to put on blossoms and they want warm days in order to develop fruit but not too warm because once temperatures get consistently above 90 degrees they'll just shut down and they'll stop putting out flowers all right well what is going on in y'all's gardens I mean, overall here, you know, with the rain, I need to get my grass mowed, but overall, my yard is nice and green and things are really looking quite decent. My potatoes, they had been looking really pretty lush and green, but just this past week, the bottom sets of leaves that are close to the soil, they've started turning yellow and that's a sign that they are at the end of their growing season. But it's also a sign of potato wilt. So um, I'm either going to get potatoes or disease. Potatoes take 80 to 100 days to grow. And since I planted my seed potatoes about three months ago, back in February, I'm feeling pretty good that it's not potato wilt. I've not had any other signs like curling leaves or stunted growth so I'm thinking it's just the normal end of growing yellowing my uh, I, I planted um, Yukon gold potatoes this year so I'm excited to see what kind of harvest I'll get over the years potatoes have really been hit or miss for me and I can't say that I've ever had a really spectacular harvest. I mean, one year I had a really good harvest, but, you know, nothing too crazy where I had so many potatoes that I didn't know what to do with all of them. Since we plant potatoes early in the year here in Central Texas, uh, um, yeah, around Valentine's Day, President's Day, it's a bit of a gamble if potatoes are going to do well or not because we could have a rather warm spring potatoes prefer cooler temperatures 
I got my potatoes planted before that snow and ice storm back in February. They hadn't sprouted um, before we got all that mess. So they were um, definitely in the ground and, and staying cool. So I'm optimistic about getting a decent potato harvest this year. I'll let you know how that goes on the show next week. I do have to say that I am glad that they're yellowing and letting me know they're about ready to dig up because I really need that space in my garden for some other plants. I gotta get some okra in and I think that's the perfect spot for it. Being that we are in the second half of May, we can still transplant seedlings. I've noticed that the stores have um, pretty good selection of warm season plants if there's something you want to grow, you need to get those transplants in the ground so they have time to get their roots established and start flower and fruit production before it gets too hot. Remember, peppers and tomatoes have extensive root systems and they focus on their root development before putting a lot of above the soil growth on. So get them planted. If you are wanting to start some plants from seeds, we can still plant cantaloupe, winter squash, watermelon, southern peas, okra, warm season greens like amaranth and malabar spinach. And you can also plant sweet potato slips now through the end of June. If you are interested in growing some warm season greens and you wanna know more about them, be sure to download last week's show it's um, available as a podcast and it is episode 19 from May 16th. Just go over to wherever you get your podcast, search for Plow and Hose, and you'll find all the recordings for this year. So go check it out and get caught up on any shows that you might have missed. Overall, I am pleased with how things are going this spring in my garden. I've got lots of new strawberry blossoms and I'm getting more strawberries starting to develop. Those plants have been super happy this year and I've been diligent about keeping those berries off the soil while they are ripening. So I've not had any issues with those stupid pill bugs feasting on them. I've been checking my strawberry plants every day and I really have not had to use any diatomaceous earth to keep those pill bugs from eating my berries. I had some uh, red spider mites crawling all over my peppers and tomatoes last month, but as soon as I see spider mites or aphids, I will just spray them with some homemade insecticidal soap. It's super easy and super cheap to make. You know, all you have to do is just fill a spray bottle with some water, add a little bit of liquid soap and a drop of vegetable oil. Shake all that up and then go to town spraying those small soft body critters like the aphids and the mites. It works great because um, when you spray that on there, that soapy water gets on their bodies and it dries them out and then they die. So make yourself some insecticidal soap to keep handy in your garden. So I'm gonna knock on wood, but 
I've not had many issues with slugs or snails or caterpillars so far this year. And now that I've said that out loud, I'm probably going to have a huge problem with them now, but hopefully not. Especially since I have been obsessively dealing with squash vine borers. Last summer, the squash vine borers destroyed my Italian black zucchini plants and my pumpkin plant. And I didn't get any squash last year. So this year I am determined to beat the squash vine borers and get some squ um, squash from my garden. Squash vine borers are orange and black moths, but they're shaped more like a bee or a wasp. You might mistake it for a bee or a wasp. They don't have kind of that typical moth shape that we're more familiar with when you think of moths, but they are actually excellent pollinators and they're really drawn to the yellow squash flowers, but they're jerks and they lay their eggs on the squash vines. Their eggs kind of look like tiny rust brown poppy seeds. Those eggs will develop into larvae and then the tiny caterpillars will burrow into the vine and they live and they grow inside of the vine. They totally love it there. But as they are doing their thing, the poor squash plant starts to have issues with water and nutrient flow. Kind of like how if you have a clog in your pipes, it's, it'll impede the flow of water. They bore their way into the squash vine and they do nothing but eat and poop and grow. And if you look at the damage, you'll see like yellowish brown crust and that's their poop. It's called frass. So while these guys are all up in your squash vine growing and pooping in between the frass and the damage and their fat grubby bodies, water and nutrients just can't circulate to um, the other parts of the plants and your vines will start to look thirsty but they won't respond to watering. Eventually the larva will have eaten and grown so much that the squash plant can't overcome the damage and it's going to eventually die. Unfortunately, a lot of times, um, by the time we notice that there's something wrong, um, it's, too, it's too late to save them. And that's where I was last year. I was so mad last summer that they ruined my squash. So I have been extra vigilant with my squash this year. I go out twice a day and check on all of my plants. I think I have like 12 of them out there. I am determined to have some homegrown squash this year. This time I planted tromboncino squash um, because it was supposed to be more resistant to squash vine borers, but damn it, I discovered some eggs on my plants this past week. I got some tromboncino squash seeds because I had read that squash vine borers disliked it so 
I also wanted to get it because it looks crazy and I love crazy plants. The fruit gets pretty long and it can grow in curves and it has like this ball at the end where the seeds are. It's like a skinny green super elongated butternut squash. I totally can see where folks thought that it resembled like a trombone or some sort of horn. I started the seeds and transplanted them into the garden. Everything was going well with my tromboncino squash until last week. While I was out walking the garden and visiting my plants, I lifted up the vine, one of the vines, and I noticed some small red seed looking things that were kind of nestled on the little hairs on the squash vine. And I was like, oh crap. I have like a, a dozen squash plants out in the garden and I think they all had these little seedy looking deposits on the base of the vines. Now there weren't there weren't a ton. It didn't seem like a major infestation. You know, not more than not more than four or so um, on each plant. Uh, and actually some of them only had like one or two, but I knew exactly what they were. It's those stupid squash vine borer eggs. And I'm just, I was so annoyed. I'm still so annoyed. So I just start picking them off and hoping that I got them all and came back to the back to the patio and mixed up some insecticidal soap and sprayed all the plants just to be safe but the next few days I kept finding eggs and then I discovered a small bulge at the base of one of the plants and there was also some gross crusty yellow brown frass and I was like oh my god yuck no why is this happening to me no this is not supposed to be happening Squash vine borers are a big deal for us organic backyard gardeners. They are just really hard to control organically. Conventional pesticides like seven dust and all of the other chemical um, pesticides, they will take care of the bad bugs, but they're also going to kill the good bugs too. And Ultimately, that messes up the soil biology. Healthy soil is just is a little mini ecosystem and it's pretty sensitive because the soil critters depend on each other to help break down organic matter. And they do it in different, different but you know, symbiotic ways. I get it. Bugs are just doing their thing, what they need to do to survive. But you know, in in the Plan Hose um, show intro, I mentioned that this show is all about the joys and the challenges of organic backyard gardening. And squash vine borers are definitely challenging me right now. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you are out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like and share it with all your 
Garden and Plant Friends or head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and please subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play and pause and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and leave a review. It's super quick. Just click on the stars. You can leave a little note. It's going to help others find the show and it's going to let folks know that Plow and Hose is a pretty decent show. If you've already left a review, thank you so much. All right. These squash vine borers are really trying my patience. I have gone out twice a day for the past two weeks to check for new eggs and pick them off and look for evidence of larva activity. You know, looking for vine damage and looking for their yellow-brown frass. I've been searching like crazy on the internet for how to control them organically. And even though I am removing the little red eggs as I see them, I'm just worried that I've missed one. And it just takes one stupid egg to hatch and that larva to decide to take over my plants. So uh, since I found some frass on one of the vines, I knew it was time to step up my game. One of the most extreme organic methods of eradicating squash vine borers involves doing crude vine surgery on them where you slice open the vine and then you dig out the white grubby larva and hope to God that slicing and digging out this larva just doesn't ruin what's left of your vine. If you're interested in learning how to do that, there's lots of videos and information on the internet. Just, just search for that. But while I was researching um, how to control these guys, I learned a different technique to terminate the larva that has set up a nursery inside of the squash vines. This technique is totally next level organic pest control. You know, organic gardening can be kind of savage, especially when it involves like squishing or crushing the bugs. This new idea I found in theory is brilliant. I'm not sure about how great it is in reality. I mean, the effectiveness, some websites kind of said it was kind of questionable. I have not really found any legit evidence of um, it working. But to me, it's a lot less severe than slicing into the vine with a knife and trying to remove the larva. Um, to me, that vine surgery is... I think it does more damage, but that's just me. Now, this new technique I found for attempting to save a squash plant from squash vine borers involves a lethal injection of BT directly into the vine. BT stands for Bacillus thuringiensis. This is a bacteria that is deadly to insect larvae, but completely harmless to humans and pets and plants and it's completely appropriate for organic gardening. 
if you ask for BT at your local nursery, they know what you're talking about. Um, they probably can't pronounce it either, so just ask for BT. This new method uh, that I found involves obtaining a hypodermic syringe and filling it with diluted BT and then just directly injecting it into the squash vine where the squash vine borer larva has taken up residence. So my first challenge was where to find a syringe. It's not anything that I shop for on a regular basis. So I was like, well, you know, I can just go online, try to find some like a vet supply operation. But, um, you know, once I noticed that frass and the damage to the vine, I was like, I don't have time for that. It's going to take days to get here. So fortunately, I came to my senses and remembered that I could get some needles and syringes at the feed store. So the needles and syringes were, were really cheap. I think I like spent like $5 for a set of six. It wasn't much. So I stopped by the store and got my syringes and bought some fresh BT because I'm not messing around. I don't want to use last year's stuff, so I, I went ahead and grabbed another bottle of BT. According to the instructions on this um, process, you just need like one cc or one milliliter of this BT to inject. So the package said to dilute it, so I followed the directions on the package. I loaded up that syringe with some BT, just sucked it right up and headed out to the squash bed with my needle full of BT. So the idea is to inject the BT right where the larva has set up its all-you-can-eat buffet inside the vine. The vine will look a bit bulgy and swollen and strained. I mean, it's not going to like burst or anything. It's just going to look like a, a knot or something, kind of like just a bulge. You'll also see um, that crusty, dark yellow, brownish frass right where the larva is living in the vine. And you just poke the needle right into that bulge and it'll just slip in real, real easy and just squirt some uh, BT inside the vine. The larva will have started munching on the vine from the inside out and the needle will be able to puncture the vine super easy since the larva has already started breaking down the vine cell wall. If you have a spot that you're not really sure it's infested, you can poke it with the tip of your syringe needle. If it's hard and doesn't go in easily, you won't be able to inject any of the BT and may you know might not be infested but you're going to have to check on your plants every day and as soon as you see legit larva activity like the bulging stems plus the yellow dark nasty frass you can get your needle and inject it with some bt the bt is supposed to kill the larva and i think this method I think we stand a better chance of saving the squash plant. I found three squash plants with suspiciously bulging stems and one with definite frass and a pithy vine. I injected all three with some BT. 
but only the one with the frass um, was easy. The needle just slipped right in. The other two were hard and I couldn't really squirt BT into the vine, so I'm, I'm not sure if there was any larva activity in there. I just gotta keep checking on them. It's been a few days since I injected the vines, um, but so far so good. No frass, no additional damage. So I'm hopeful this is working because I have been completely obsessed with beating these stupid squash vine borers. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I shouldn't be so obsessed. Uh, you know, especially considering how inexpensive and plentiful squash is at the farmer's market, but I really want tromboncino squash this year. All right, but that is just part of the challenge of organic backyard gardening, figuring out how nature wants to work and coming up with strategies to adapt when things don't go the way we want them to. Sometimes you win sometimes you don't it's all trial and error but I want to learn from last year's failure and be successful this year even if it means checking on my plants twice a day hand-picking off eggs lurking around the garden like dr. death with a syringe full of bacteria injecting squash plants like a maniac intent on exterminating squash vine borers all of this in pursuit of the chance of getting some really cool and fun funky squash. All right, let me switch gears and stop talking about squash vine borers. Let's transition and talk about some other chores that you can do in your garden. You know, any time of the year is a good time to start a compost pile, but spring is a really awesome time to start a pile if you don't already have one, because all the soil critters and the soil biology become really active as the weather warms up and piles break down a lot faster. Compost piles need both brown and green plant materials to break down efficiently. Green plant materials are those things like grass clippings, kitchen scraps, um, plants that you just pull out of your garden. Green items are considered fresh and they still have a little bit of moisture to them. Green compost items are high in nitrogen. Brown plant materials are those things that are like dry or woody and they're generally considered dead. So like leaves and wood chips, newspaper and cardboard, those are all common brown items. Brown compost items are high in carbon. Ideally, you want your working compost pile to be two parts green and one part brown. This is a good basic ratio for having an active synergistic compost pile that breaks down all those pieces of yard waste and kitchen scraps into a wonderful, rich, dark brown compost that your plants will love. An effective compost pile is always working. 
They don't go dormant and they don't take a break when the temperatures cool down. They will slow down a little, but they don't stop working altogether. Um, the soil microbes um, and critters like worms, um, they do retreat a little further into the soil where they can stay warm, but they are still hard at work under your compost pile, munching away on plant material and making that really great compost. But back in the, uh, when springtime comes back around, those microbes and bugs, they work their way up to the surface and they really get after all the organic matter in your pile. Now, brown plant material is sometimes harder to come by in the summertime. Warm weather helps break down the pile faster, so you're going to need more brown plant material to keep up. Even though it's not literally brown, shredded paper um, can be a really good source um, if you need some extra brown material for your pile. I find uh, paper shreds very satisfying to, um, to add to the pile because they break down really quickly. And there's something satisfying about composting shredded bills. composting is so great. I want to encourage everyone to have some sort of compost product uh, project, you know, either in the corner of your yard, or maybe you get a compost tumbler, or you set up a worm bin in your kitchen under your sink. Do something because compost is it keeps plant waste and kitchen scraps and leaves and yard clippings and paper products out of the landfill. Nature is going to break down all those things in your pile and transform it into a really valuable soil amendment that feeds your plants. Even the most basic compost pile serves those two functions, keeps waste out of the landfill and it recycles it into free plant food. If you already have a compost pile and you have some nice finished compost, you can make your plants some compost tea. And it's a super easy and ridiculously cheap thing to do. It's so easy. All you need is a five gallon bucket, water, compost, and an old pillowcase. You know, put a couple shovelfuls of compost into the pillowcase and then tie it up and set that in your bucket. Fill your bucket with water and just let it soak. If you have rainwater, use that. But you can just use water from your hose. That It's going to work too. Let that pillowcase full of compost sit a, you know, a few days, like 24 or 36 hours. But check on it every day. You want to slosh the pillowcase up and down like a tea bag. You know, during warmer days, it's not going to take as long to make compost tea. Once the liquid gets dark, it's ready to use in your garden. If you used finished compost from your garden or from a bag, it doesn't matter. Your tea will have an earthy smell to it. If it if your compost tea has like a sour smell or it smells putrid, then there might be an issue with bad bacterial growth. This can happen 
Um, if there is animal manure in your compost, you can, you know, you don't have to, you know, if it, if it does start smelling bad or sour, you know, you can still use it. You just want to make sure that you put it on your non-food plants like flowers or in your lawn. You just don't want to use any unfinished manure compost on your food um, that you're going to harvest and eat soon. A general rule is if compost tea smells like dirt, it's fine. If it smells awful and poopy, don't put that on your food plants. Pour it out somewhere else. Use it somewhere else in your garden. It's better to start over than risk consuming some sort of weird bacteria that can make you sick. Again, if it smells earthy, it's good and your plants are going to love it. Thank you all for joining me today in the backyard. I sure appreciate you hanging out with me. To me, springtime in Central Texas is just the best, and I hope that you are enjoying your gardens and your plants and your outdoor space as much as I'm enjoying mine. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.